Welcome to Attorney Heart, the podcast focused on bringing awareness to and promoting attorney well-being. Join Attorney Heart as you embark on a journey to improve the quality of your professional and personal life. And now, here's your host, Fernando Flores. Looking up, there's always sky. Rest your head, I'll take you high. We won't fade into darkness. All right, welcome everyone to the next episode of Attorney Heart. I am really excited for our next guest. I want to thank you for joining us. Um, on the next uh, episode, we have Andres Vallejo. Thank you, Andres, for being on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, definitely. I know that uh, we've actually been uh, attempting to connect for some time. Andres is an incredibly busy attorney who works in, uh, at Reed Smith, and I know that you definitely have a lot on your plate. So um, I want to just go ahead and get started, and if you can tell our listeners a little bit about the work that you do. Uh, as a, as a partner at Reed Smith? Sure. Um, I, I litigate cases um, uh, surrounding issues uh, of constitutional import like Commerce Clause and due process issues, uh, mostly with respect to the power of states to tax uh, multinational um, businesses and also individuals that, that travel across state lines. Um, and I also do a lot of work in the technology area in terms of what the states can do, um, again, mostly from a state and local tax perspective, also sometimes dealing with some regulatory issues, and, but, but mostly litigation work in that context. Got it. Okay. And just for additional context, you know, how did you end up doing this work? Well, uh, can you tell the listeners a little bit about your trajectory as an attorney? Sure. I went to law school, uh, started law school in 96, graduated in 1999. Um, and I started uh, working at the firm that I was at before, Reed Smith, Morrison, and Forrester, when I was uh, a second year law student in what they refer to in big law as the summer program. So I was a summer associate at Morrison and Forrester in 1998. Uh, I was mostly interested in litigation. And so I did most of my work in the litigation group at Morrison and Forrester while I was a summer associate. The program, by the way, um, <clears throat> allows uh, law students to try different practice areas mm. to see what is a, a better fit for a young attorney. Um, <clears throat> so uh, during that time in, in 1998, um, like a lot of things in, in life, I just happened to, to uh, meet someone at one of the uh, events that we were doing over the summer. And he and I became close friends and he started telling me about his practice, which is what I do now. And I went to that group and I did some assignments with them and I uh, really enjoyed the work. I thought it was really intellectually challenging and interesting and it involved a lot of constitutional issues, which I never thought you could do in a large, um, law firm context. So I did more and more work with them and ultimately decided when the firm gave me an offer, the way the summer program works is they reevaluate your work over the summer when you're still a law student. And then based on that, they um, either give you an offer or they don't. Um, and they also give you an offer depending on which groups you've worked in. Some groups may decide that they're, you're a right fit for them. Other groups may not. So that's how it happened. 
the, the interesting part about that story is that it, it all happened as a result of a phone call that I decided to pick up on my way out of my apartment, because uh, otherwise I wouldn't have met, uh, his name is Peter, who's still a friend of mine, and we're still colleagues here at Reed Smith. Um, we had another summer associate event, and one of the associates at the firm had told me they can pick me up. They ultimately uh, decided that they couldn't pick me up, and <clears throat> I was walking out of my, of my apartment. This was in the Lower Haight in San Francisco, where I was living at the time. Uh, and um, I guess I was going to go meet some friends since I wasn't going to this event anymore. And the phone rang. I didn't have a cell phone at the time. It was just my landline. Mm -hmm. And for reasons that I couldn't explain to you today, I heard the phone ring. And I was already on the driveway and almost on the street. But I heard the phone ring and I thought, I better get that. And I went back and it was the same associate saying, now I can pick you up. Sorry about the, you know, the miscommunication. Uh, and to make a long story short, he ultimately picked me up, even though I had told him not to, because I had already told my friends that I would be able to go out with them and so forth. Uh, and it was just because of that that I ended up meeting um, Peter, and then Peter introduced me to the kind of work that I'm doing now. So just a little story about how random life can be, or not, depending yeah. on you. Yeah, no, that's, that's a very... Uh... You know, just one call literally made the difference. Right. And, 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 you know, the timing of it, right. It was the timing just within earshot so that I could very faintly hear the phone. And then the decision that I made to go back to pick up that ringing phone, um, which if I go back to it today, I'm not sure that I made that decision. It's just something that I did. I, yeah, I, most of the time I would have just kept walking and said, to the, I had an answering machine, an actual answering machine back then. <laughs> um, you know, I just figured the answering machine would get it, and that's what I usually would have done. And for whatever reason, I just turned around that day and picked up the phone. Got it. And uh, Andres, was it at Reed Smith that you ended up becoming partner, or was it at another law firm? No, I was. Uh, at Morrison and Forrester. I, I Sorry, Morrison and Forrester, that's right. I joined the firm in September of 1999, and then I became a partner as of January 1 of 2008. Mm. Um, I was in the partnership for a couple of years, and, and then I had a very serious health issue, so I um, uh, voluntarily retired from the, the partnership actually asked the partnership to allow me to do that. Uh, the partnership at the time said that that wasn't necessary. They treated me extremely well. I, I have nothing but respect and admiration for Morrison and Forrester and gratitude for everything that they did for me uh, yeah. back in those really difficult days. Um, the chairman of the firm at the time said that I should stay on as partner. I decided against doing that um, because I just thought that it would be too difficult for me um, to not carry my weight uh, and that I would either just be derelict in my duties as a partner or that I would continue doing all of the things that a partner in a large law firm has to do and then my health would suffer. So I saw it as kind of a loose-loose yeah. situation, uh, both from my perspective and from the firm's. I wanted to be fair to the firm 
as well. Um, so they, um, they uh, allowed me, based on my request, uh, to go to an of counsel uh, position, which allowed some additional flexibility in terms of my responsibilities and my time and the amount of work that I was doing at the firm. Uh, this was at the end of 2010, so I had been a partner for a couple of years almost uh, by the time that that happened. Um, so that's how that story unfolded. Um, and, and then after I was through uh, most of the health challenges, um, the, the firm asked me to go back up to the partnership. And so I did that. That was in, I think it was 2013, beginning of 2013. So it was a couple of years of being in, a, in an of counsel uh, position to, to the firm. And then I went back up to the partnership. Um, okay. And then I can tell you the story about moving to Reed Smith uh, a little later, but it had um, absolutely nothing to do with anything that was going wrong at Morrison and Forster. Um, mm -hmm. I still have very good friends there. And I still, like I said, have nothing but respect and admiration for the people and the firm itself. Um, it was just the dynamic of our particular group had changed a lot uh, at Morrison and Forster. And we were looking for um, something a little bit different in terms of that dynamic, mostly as a result of retirements, some earlier than expected and so forth at, at Morrison and Forster. So then we moved the the West Coast team in our group over to Reed Smith. Got it. And Andres, I've connected with you about this particular period in your life and, um, you know, you you sharing your story with me was just definitely very powerful. And um, I mean, I, I'd love to bring some attention to um, the period when you mentioned that you had some health concerns. And if you can tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, uh, what that experience was and also what were some of the, uh, the changes that you made in your life as a result of them, I think uh, a lot of folks would benefit from that if you're open to it, Andres. Sure. So in, um, at, at the end of 2010, I um, was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer that came to a surprise to all of us, which is the reason why I went to the firm Morrison & Forster at that time and, and requested um, that I um, step into an off-council role as opposed to the partnership role that um, I had been elected to back in January of 2008. Um, and it was obviously a difficult time for uh, my family and my wife in particular and my parents and my brother and, and for me. Uh, and after going through, you know, all of the recommended conventional treatments, you know, I thought to myself, this process of cancer inside my body was created by my body. Mm. Um, and I know of cases, I knew then, and I know even more cases now of people that have had um, certain illnesses, including cancer, and sometimes the body itself gets rid of them with some help, you know, both from conventional treatments and, and otherwise. Uh, and I thought, well, if my body can create it, maybe my body can eliminate it or at least slow down its growth. And so I decided to dive into as much of the research on lifestyle and cancer, the connection between lifestyle issues and cancer as I could, which was one of the reasons why I wanted to 
take some time off from my otherwise very busy um, law firm life. Uh, and again, I, I have to say this again, but the, the amount of gratitude that I have for, for Morrison and Forrester, for its then chairman, um, Keith Wetmore, um, I'm, I, I, can't, I can't overstate the amount of gratitude I have for the way that the firm um, treated me. So, and I say that, you know, as a parenthesis here, because a lot of, a lot of people, I think, think of large firms as these cold calculating places. Um, and some are, and in some contexts they may be, but it's not always the case. At the end of the day, it's all about the, the people that you have around you and the relationships that you build with, with those people. Um, and again, Morrison and Forrester treated me with um, a great amount of compassion and flexibility uh, and dignity. And I will always be grateful for all of the folks that were there at that time that helped me get through you know, a challenging time in, in my life and in the life of my family. And one thing that I want to mention on that, and that is just in the interviews that I've had with other attorneys, you know, who work in big law, I've really liked highlighting the different aspects that they are supportive. You know, the big law firms are supportive in terms of maintaining wellness and also the support that they provide, you know, to attorneys like yourself when you were in a very difficult period in your life as well as your family. Right. And so I appreciate that note, Andres, because uh, I think I think it's important to highlight these stories as well. And it's important to highlight, you know, how much you work, because I know that you you definitely work a lot and you're, you're, you have a very busy schedule, too. But also there's stories where when we as humans just need to be there for each other. And that is a situation where um, they were there for you. Right. And I think you, you put it really well as humans. You know, we, we forget that that's what we are at our essence. You know, we're, we're born and, and we get all these labels slapped on us. You know, we're, we're born and now you are this and you are that as a result of where you were born and to whom you were born. And I think some of those labels, I'm, I'm not saying they're not important, but sometimes they end up dividing us more than they unify us. And as we grow up, we slap a, a number of additional labels on ourselves. So I'm a lawyer. Um, you know, people usually ask you when they meet you, what do you do? Oh, I'm an attorney. And I've always thought of that question as an interesting question. Not that it's a wrong question or a wrong answer. It's just interesting that most of us identify with the work that we do every day, as opposed to going a little bit deeper into, you know, who we are as people. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where I think you can have a... You, you can have a group of people doing whatever activity they may be engaged in, whether it's a group of engineers or architects or doctors or lawyers, uh, and have that kind of camaraderie and have that kind of um, human connection, you know, even in the context of a large international law firm. Um, so it's not, a lot of people think of, of law firms or other places of business as these abstract entities and they're really not at the end of the day it's about the people that you're dealing with on a daily basis um, that's not to say that all of the people would react in the way that they reacted to my situation maybe if somebody else had been there they would not have you know some businesses are more bottom line oriented than others uh, but at 
but at the end of it, at the core of it, is it's the human relationships and connections that you have there. It's not the abstract entities that we think of. Mm -hmm. I no, totally agree, and, and thanks for for adding those points, Andres. And one thing that I wanted to ask you that you mentioned about was the research that you engaged in during this uh, three-year period, right? From about I think you mentioned 2010 to 2013. Um, you know, what, what was some of the information that you ended up looking into um, and, um, you know, what did you end up applying in your own life as a result of that? Yeah, so, you know, the beginning, I'd say the, 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 the first six months or so were the most intense, but, you know, the, the rest of the period, I, I tried to learn as much as I possibly could. And I started relatively broadly on lifestyle issues in general. That led me down the path of nutrition primarily, uh, but also uh, stress management techniques and exercise, sleep, and a few other things. Um, so let's start with, with nutrition because that's where I found, uh, and, and just to be clear, I, I'm, I'm not saying, nor do I believe, that changing the way that you eat cures cancer. I don't believe that that's true. Um, I do believe that what we eat on a daily basis, most of us three times a day, has a dramatic impact on the way that our body responds to illness um, or the way our body responds in general to the stresses of the outside world in which we live. Um, so in doing that, that research, I was focused more on that. Uh, in other words, I wasn't focused on the research uh, by thinking to myself, I'm going to find the alternative cure for cancer. I focused on it more by thinking to myself, what can I do to help my body have the best fighting chance it can? Mm. Um, because if there is one thing we, we do know about cancer, and we've made some strides uh, you know, in the conventional medical field on, on cancer research and treatment, uh, is that most human beings, if not all of us, have cancer cells, but our immune system recognizes them and is able to um, destroy those cells before they become a problem. Um, and so I started thinking about it from that perspective. And I did a lot of research. I, I decided uh, it, was, it, was, it was difficult to start the project because um, the first thing I thought to myself at the time was, how am I supposed to do this? I don't have any training. I don't have any background in any of this. Mm -hmm. You know, how do I know whether what this person is telling me is correct or that person is telling me is wrong? Um, it seemed almost an insurmountable challenge to try and deal with my lack of knowledge in this area. But I, I thought also, well, one of the things that I have to do in, in my um, professional life is design and coordinate and execute research projects and get to the bottom of something. You know, and often in, in the law, as you know, and, and yep. other lawyers, that are listening here today, you will get issues that you've never seen before and you gotta get to the bottom of those things. So I thought, well, it's obviously going to be a different subject matter, but the process may be similar. And so 
why don't I try to apply those skills to this process and try to do it in an objective way? Um, because as a, as, as a, primarily as a litigator, I always try to approach my cases by looking at the issue objectively and trying to find out what are the counter arguments that the other side is going to have, you know, getting to the, to the bottom of the bottom of the issue. And then, and only then can you design a strategy to try and convince someone that your side of the argument is correct. So I did the same thing without the second part. That is, I just said, I'm just going to do this completely objectively. Um, before I started this research, so I'll start with the nutrition part of it and then I'll go into the other um, parts. Uh, and stop me whenever you think I've gone too long. And no, no, that's, no, that's fine. Let's keep going. Yeah. This is... So, I, so that, that was the framework. Now, the process itself and, and the strategy that I followed was first, I just have to kind of inundate my brain with this information all of it, as much as I can possibly uh, absorb. Uh, so I started reading, you know, book after book after book, um, not necessarily related just to cancer, but to health and lifestyle issues in, in general. Um, I focused more on nutrition at the beginning, as I just mentioned, and I read as many books as I could. I also ended up reading, um, I can't remember how many, but it was literally hundreds of scientific studies and um, and I started to see that it was going to be really hard to figure out what the best obtainable version of the truth was in terms of what is the best dietary pattern, you know, for human health, because you can find almost any study that will support whatever view you want to have. Mm -hmm. If you just pick out one study here or pick out one study there, which is the reason why I think a lot of people are confused about this issue, is that you see in the news every day it's something different than the last day. One day people tell you, you know, fat is bad for you. Then they say, no, fat is good for you. And they say, don't eat butter. And then, you know, Time magazine recently had its cover with a big stick of butter saying, eat butter. <laughs> um, and so how are you supposed to kind of wade through all of this conflicting information. So what I ended up deciding to do, it was a little overwhelming at the beginning because uh, you know, before I ended up changing my diet dramatically, um, you know, I, I, ate, um, I, I ate a lot of meat, I ate a lot of cheese and dairy, I ate a lot of desserts and, and refined sugar products and um, you know, I drank wine and you know, I had to have some beers with my friends and I liked scotch and you know, I was living kind of a typical American lifestyle in that regard. I would sometimes have fast food as well. You know, breakfast was usually some eggs and maybe bacon or ham. And I'd have chicken sandwich or a turkey sandwich for lunch. I might have, you know, a steak for dinner and maybe some salmon for um, another dinner. But that's, that was my, that, that's what I ate. I also bagels and of course I love pizza like everybody else does, <laughs> does. And so I, I did not have a particularly healthy diet I don't think I had a particularly unhealthy diet in the sense that I wasn't going to Taco Bell every single day mm -hmm. um, but what I learned in in going through this this process um, is that we we grow up in a society in which we assume that a number of things are normal because that's just the only thing we know 
Um, and so as I started doing all this research, I started thinking, well, how am I going to parse through all of this and figure out what is normal and what may not be quite as normal as we think it is? So what I did is I just designed a filtering process. Um, and it, it didn't have like a specific number of steps, but it, in general, it went something like this. I First, I started um, to look to the expertise and background of the people that were writing the books and some of the people that were writing notes about the scientific studies. Understanding, of course, that the fact that somebody has a PhD doesn't mean that they know more than somebody who doesn't. Sometimes the people that don't know more because the PhD experts, you know, as someone once said, an expert is someone that knows more and more about less and less. <laughs> and so you have to be a little bit skeptical there. Um, but I thought, you know, in, in this at least gives me some guidance because if someone, you know, doesn't have a lot of knowledge about something, they may get confused too, just like I do. So let's look at some, you know, some of the folks that have been doing this for a long time and that have that kind of expertise. Then I also started looking at connections between authors and, and certain studies and industries to see if there is any potential bias in either the studies because they were funded by a particular industry that might benefit from a particular conclusion. Um, that doesn't mean that the study was in fact biased, but at least there was a, a yellow flag to those. Um, I also started doing uh, random citation checks um, the lawyers in the audience will understand exactly what I mean by that. But <laughs> I say that to people that are not lawyers. They, what do you mean by random citation check? So what I mean by that is if I read a book on nutrition, I would look to the citation for a particular statement in the book in the footnotes normally or in the appendix. And I would actually pull that particular study or whatever it is that the book was citing to. And then I would read it and then compare it to whether or not it um, comported with the statement that it was being cited to support. Mm -hmm. This is something that lawyers are very good at doing because that's what we do for a living. You know, we take somebody else's brief and they say this is a statement of the law and then they have a citation to a statute or a regulation or a case or whatever the case may be. Um, and then you go and read the case and, and often you will find, huh, that case actually doesn't stand for that proposition. Uh, or at least it's not quite as simple as all that. So that's what I ended up doing with the random cita citation checks. Uh, and then I created, I, I did a few other things, but those were three fairly major kind of guideposts. And, and then I created my own kind of, a little bit of an oxymoron, my, my own analog algorithm <laughs> to figure out how to weigh certain things against others. Um, and have a filtering process that was as objective as possible. And what trickled out of that, um, which was not something that I was looking for or not looking for, frankly, um, was surprising to me because it was really consistent all mm. the way through. Uh, and, and to be completely candid, it, to, it was an unpleasant surprise for me at the beginning because most of what I ended up with after that filtering process was diets and dietary patterns that were almost exclusively, if not exclusively in, in some cases, made of whole plant-based foods. And what I mean by that is 
vegetables and legumes and so forth at, that, that you would eat as they have been grown. So you eat, you know, if you want corn, you eat corn, not corn chips or, you know, the, the, the whole food that has everything in it, the fiber and the vitamins and the phytochemicals and the minerals and everything that is bound up in that package, which acts at, at, like a symphony ultimately when you are consuming it and, and digesting it. So I started thinking, well, that may mean that I need to give up meat and dairy uh, and a lot of the things that I really enjoyed, uh, alcohol, sugar, desserts, um, all of these really refined carbohydrate um, products like bagels and pastries and cookies and all of the things that we think of as just our normal fare on a day-to-day -day basis. And the more research I did, the more and more I came to that same conclusion. Um, and by the way, I, I forgot to, to, to say this and should have said it at the beginning. Um, I could not have done any of this without the support of my amazing wife, Lily, um, who, when she saw me kind of gravitating towards, you know, other dietary patterns that recommend very high protein intakes, mostly from animal products and, and so forth. Um, she was the one who said, hey, look, if that's the answer, we'll go whichever way you think is going to be best. Just make sure that you're not being pulled in a certain direction because of the inherent bias that you have for those foods and the inherent like that you have for those, mm -hmm. for those foods. Um, so she really kind of pulled me back from doing something that would have been a lot more subjective and not as objective as I, at least I tried to be. Obviously, right. anything that we do as human beings is going to have some subjectivity by definition. Um, but I tried really hard to pull back and, and be as objective as I could. Um, so once we were convinced of, of, of the message in general, I started reading more and more books and more and more studies. We then traveled the country and even outside of the country uh, to meet a lot of the folks that we started to get to know by reading their books and some of the people that had done some of the actual studies themselves because we wanted to shake their hand and look, look at them in the eye and you know make sure that at least we felt that they were honest people of integrity and not just trying to sell you a bill of goods. Uh, so we did that for you know pretty much you know, the three-year period, and we've continued that to, to a large um, extent. Um, we're now actually involved in doing some conferences on our own uh, to give people some of the information that we learned. Uh, Lily, my wife, just put one together, um, and she's doing another one in, in September. Um, I, I spoke about my personal story with um, our family medical doctor and our dietitian in Australia. Um, so... Mm. It was about our health issues and challenges. Um, and so we changed our, our, our diet very dramatically uh, at that, at that wow. point after meeting all these folks. And so we, we now live on plants, whole unprocessed plant-based foods, um, wow. like lentils and greens and nuts and seeds and that's what we, we live on. We eat no meat. We eat no dairy. We eat no animal products of any kind. We do not eat any refined sugars at all. Um, I, I, I don't and, and never, never will have a dessert um, that is made with refined sugars. Um, again, 
We don't eat, um, you know, white flour products. Uh, we don't even really eat flour products almost at all. Once in a while, we may have, you know, a piece of um, coarsely ground whole grain um, bread, but not very often. Uh, you know, we don't eat pastas, and you know, we just eat whole plant-based foods. Um, uh, and as a so result, that change um, in the diet. So yeah, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to ask you. So that was a change in the diet. And what I wanted to ask you was in terms of the health changes, what did you see there? So two aspects of that that are uh, really important, mine and then my family and my friends. Mm -hmm. So I can honestly say that ironically, I am a much healthier person now than I was before the diagnosis. So wow. healthier after having a cancer diagnosis than I was before a cancer diagnosis, which is kind of incredible, but it's really true. Um, I, was a, I, I was much heavier than I am now. I've lost about 42, 43 pounds. Wow. My cholesterol levels uh, at that time, um, I was in my, I think my early to mid thirties, the last time I had my cholesterol checked and I still have that report um, and it was well over 200, which is not healthy uh, for someone at my, in my age group. I think it was two, 229 or 239. I can't remember the specific number. Mm -hmm. um, and the doctors had already told me that I needed to be on statin drugs because my father was on statin drugs that he see had high cholesterol as well. And they said that it was a genetic issue and that I was going to have to take the statin drugs to reduce my risk of cardiovascular disease, which my father also had. And I'll get to that mm. in a second. Um, and so they said, you know, your dad has that and you're going to likely have to deal with that as well. Um, my uh, blood sugar level was elevated to the point that one of the doctors um, had told me that I was basically pre-diabetic, borderline pre-diabetic. Um, my dad also had diabetes, so the doctor said, you know, at some point, we may want to put you on metformin, and you may end up having to go on, on insulin because, you know, this runs in your family, so this is part of the process that you may have to go through. Um, I had a few other um, issues that I won't bother you with, uh, but the short and the long and short of it is that, you know, my cholesterol level is now 130. Uh, my blood sugar levels are perfect um, every day. I don't even take them anymore because it's not necessary. Oh. Uh, and everything normalized for me. I felt better. You know, I slept better. I had more energy. Like I mentioned earlier, I lost 40 some odd pounds. Um, and so if you look at my test results before and after, uh, you would see a not entirely healthy 30 something year old and now you will see a very healthy 40-some-odd-year-old. Um, in terms of, of the second, so that's me. And right. that, um, you know, and in terms of the cancer, I don't like talking about that too much because, like I said at the beginning, I don't think that changing your diet and lifestyle cures cancer. I, I think that what it does is it gives your body the best fighting chance it has to either slow down the growth of those cells um, or to potentially eliminate them. Um, so with, in that regard, I've not had any recurrences. Um, all of my bands are clean um, and I don't really worry about what's going to happen in the future because I think that's mostly a waste of energy. You know, we, 
one of the things that we'll talk about in a second here in terms of lifestyle issues uh, is also just a change of perspective in the way that we view ourselves and our lives. I think most of us as human beings, to some extent, it's inherent in our nature. We, we live mostly in the past and in the future. We're thinking about things we regret or we're thinking about things that we wish we could go back to. And when you project out into the future, you may hope that the future is going to be better or you think, oh, once I have this or once I can accomplish that, then I'll be happy. Or you start worrying about the future. Oh, what happens if X happens? Then Y happens? And then if that happens, then where will I be? And uh, in, in this process made me realize that the only life we have and the only life we've ever had is now. That there is no such thing as the future. The future is just a projection of our minds because once you get to the future, it's the present again. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't plan and be responsible, but it does mean that worrying about the future is just a waste of energy. Um, you can plan for the future and you can try to influence it in a way that is effective and efficient, but I think that's all you can do. I don't think we really have control over much or maybe we don't have control over anything. We have some influence over some things. So we exert as much influence as we can and, and we do it honestly and diligently um, and with a sense of purpose. But after you've done that, the rest of it, you've got to let go because otherwise you're just holding on to this negative energy that is not serving you well. Mm -hmm. It's just creating more pain and more suffering unnecessarily. Um, so I, that's why I don't like talking too much about the cancer diagnosis, because for me, I'm healthy now. I'm alive right. now. I feel well now. And there's not much else I can do to influence um, how long my life is going to be. You know, what is the probability of my life timeline is something that none of us knows. So no matter how healthy I am, I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And then nothing matters. It doesn't matter that I had my two big raw green salads today and I'm healthier today <laughs> than I was yesterday. It right. doesn't matter that I was, that I had a cancer diagnosis. It doesn't matter that I, none of that matters, right? It, the right. bus hits you and that's mm -hmm. the end of that. Yeah. <laughs> so I think of it in the same way. The cancer diagnosis for me was more, more information about the probability of my life timeline. But that's all, because none of us know when we're going to, to die, when none of us know how. Um, and so the best you can do is influence your, influence your present in a way that makes you happy and the people around you happy, um, being mindful of not hurting other people intentionally and wow. trying to be as, as compassionate and um, as respectful of others as you can in your journey. Yeah. That's why I like talking about, you know, well, what happened? Everybody always asks me that, that, that question is, well, so you, you're cured of cancer and, and you reversed cancer by changing your diet. And I say, look, I don't think that anything in life is that simple. Yeah. I think well, everything that we do is, is multifaceted, um, including in particular things that happen with our bodies, which are incredibly complex things. You know, we, we're now finding out that we, we have 
more bacteria in our bodies than we have human cells in our bodies. So it's the symbiotic relationship with these organisms that are working with and sometimes against us, depending on how we influence our bodies. So it's so multifaceted. It's, there's so many different um, moving parts that to say that one thing or another thing is what cures this or cures that, uh, I think is uh, too reductionist. Yeah. Uh, think a little bit more broadly. And I think one point on that, I mean, you, you were speaking about how you're in your journey, you actually implemented a holistic, a multifaceted approach. At least if I'm hearing you correctly, it was, it was diet and, uh, you know, making a big change in terms of diet, but also at the same time, um, making a, a mindset shift that also led to a philosophical and spiritual shift that just kind of allowed your, your body to, to heal and stay in that healing journey and that healed journey. If that makes, if that's, you know, if I'm hearing you correctly. I'm gonna say. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, it, 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 I think stress management techniques are really important. So, you know, I started a, um, a fairly consistent, I wish I was more consistent with it, meditation practice, um, mindfulness meditation practice to try and um, deal with the stresses of daily life, including a position like being a partner in a large law firm, which has inherent stresses in it, particularly when you're in on the litigation side of that. Um, well, I would, shouldn't even say particularly. I think being an, an attorney in general yep. has inherent stresses built into it. Yep. Um, and that's, that's fine. That's part of life. You know, stress is part of, of life. If you see even just in the natural world, you know, the, the, the squirrel that picks up the nut is stressed about whether something is about to come and grab it. <laughs> stress is part of life. It's the way that we, that we deal with that stress that I think can be um, either a healthy way or an unhealthy way. Uh, and I do think that that manifests you know, physically, ultimately, if you're not dealing with stress in a productive um, and, and in a wise way, that can impact your physical health. And it certainly was impacting it for me. Again, I'm not saying that stress causes cancer. There's multifaceted things, of course, part of it is genetic and so forth. But it is something that um, most of us just don't think of because in, in our fast paced world, we just try to just put our head down and get our work done and make sure that we're doing it as best we can, make sure that we are paying our bills and our mortgage and so forth. And we forget to take a step back and say, you know, how am I handling all of this? Am I just kind of moving through the motions with all of the stress and all of these stress hormones that go along with it, you know, instead of accumulating and accumulating and not really dealing with it? Yeah. So I, I did that, you know, I, um, I I've also, um, you know, I've also talked to some therapists about the diagnosis, um, you know, one in particular that has been absolutely critical to, you know, my shift of perspective on a lot of these things. Um, I started, you know, different exercise um, regimes um, and, you know, have continued those. I actually injured myself yesterday, so I'm going to have to take a little break um, from that for a little while. Oh, man. That's part of the process, too. You know, you have to, 
you have to go through the ups and the downs and, and try to not get too up in the ups and not too down in the downs. Yeah. Part of the shift in, in, in perspective is just understanding that, you know, at the end of it, you can just kind of witness what is going on and react to it in a wise way. But if you get caught up in the emotions of the, of the moment, you end up acting unwisely. Right. Um, so that doesn't mean you disconnect from the world. It just means you put a little bit of space. You know, one of the books that I, I read in this, in this journey, um, a particular part of that book struck me. The author said, between any stimulus and your reaction to it, there is a space. And in that space lies your freedom. Mm. And the way I took that was, you know, we have so much stimuli coming in from the outside you know some that we would label positive some that we would label negative um, and we react to it mostly automatically mm -hmm. not really thinking about how to react to a lot of the stimuli coming in and what i think this author was saying is there is a space between the time that the stimulus comes in and your reaction to it and in that space, you can choose. You can choose to see anger boiling up because of something somebody did or outside circumstances that you didn't control. And you can choose to just let your body do automatically what it's going to do, raise your voice or get you know, angrier and escalate the situation. But if you can find that space, you can maybe choose a different path. Mm -hmm. and, and act more wisely and in a way that is more effective for that particular situation. So that's part of it too. So you're right. right. It's not just about, you know, a change. That's why I normally say lifestyle issues. It's really a change in lifestyle. That doesn't mean that you don't come to work and do your work to the best of your ability and, and so forth. It just means that you have a slightly different perspective on it. Yeah. Um, but I do think that the most, the most powerful of these changes, at least at the, at, the, at the beginning, because it's something that you can do immediately and that will uh, yield results right away is the change in, in diet. You know, a meditation mm -hmm. program, it takes a little while to learn how to do it properly. It takes a while for you to get into a rhythm. You know, these are things that take a long time, which is important. You, you have to continue influencing that as much as you can um, throughout, you know, I think your entire life. But a change in diet, you can just make a decision and you're there. Right. Uh, and the changes are dramatic. Uh, I mentioned earlier that I would talk a little bit about my father. My, my dad had um, very advanced coronary artery disease. He had already had a heart attack. Uh, he had diabetes. He had been diabetic for, I think, over 20, 25 years. Um, he had high blood pressure. He had high cholesterol. Um, he had a number of, of different health problems, including arthritis and gout. Um, his um, kidneys were starting to fail as a result of the, of the diabetes. A number of health problems. If I keep going, we'll just end up just talking about his former health problems. Uh, he was on, on 17 medications a day, um, statin drugs for the high cholesterol. Wow drugs for high blood pressure. He was on metformin for diabetes. Uh, he was on about 35 to 45 units of insulin, depending on the day, every day. Um, wow. 
up with insulin. Um, and um, he came to me and, and he said, along with my mom and my brother, and you know, told me that they were going to change their diet too to support what Lily and I were, were doing. Right, right. They had a family crisis for us at the time. And, and he also said, but I don't want you to be disappointed when this doesn't work for me because I'm just too far gone. You know, I've had these conditions for too long and so forth. And I told him something similar to what I told you earlier today, which is that I just appreciate your, your support here. Um, and again, I don't think that I'm going to change my diet and cure cancer. I just uh -huh. think that this is a healthier way to live and may give my body a better fighting chance. Um, so with that, he felt comfortable and he said, okay, because my dad had been to a number of specialists, including some of the top doctors at UC San Francisco. And um, so, and, and all of the doctors told him and us that all of his conditions were progressive, irreversible diseases, that he would need bypass surgery, you know, that he had to stay on his medications for life and so forth and so on. Long story short on, on this, um, my father now doesn't take any of those 17 pills and, and he takes zero insulin. He is no, no diabetic. Um, he has reversed his coronary artery disease. Uh, his blood pressure is 115 over 70 without any blood pressure medication. It had never been normal during the time that he was taking his blood pressure medication, by the way. Even the medication wasn't able to control it. Uh, his cholesterol levels went down to about the same as, as mine. Uh, and you know, my dad's in his mid-70s at this point. And he's got cholesterol levels of a 25, 30-year-old uh, with no statin drugs. Um, he did start an exercise, uh, an exercise routine, but he wasn't able to do it straight away. Um, he hasn't had a single gout attack. Um, oh. It's been, what, seven years, I guess, since he changed his, his diet? Yeah, about seven years. Hmm. He hasn't had a single gout attack. Uh, his kidney function went back to normal. Um, and all those conditions that had plagued them for a couple of decades plus um, are no longer there. So they were reversible and they were not progressive. It was the food all along. Um, and the medications I learned through this journey were really just masking the symptoms of the underlying diseases as opposed to getting to the cause of the diseases. Well, one of the medical doctors that we talked to gave me what I thought was a really good analogy he said, things like statin drugs or blood pressure medication, they're very similar to going to the mechanic because the oil light is on in your car and having the mechanic snip the wire to the light with a pair of scissors. Mm. You still have to change the oil, but now the light is not on anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, high blood pressure yeah. is your body giving you the alarm saying, hey, there's something wrong here. You've got to change the oil. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when, once he did that, all of these um, quote unquote progressive irreversible diseases went away. Wow. And there's such a, a powerful um, just anecdote and, you know, story about um, how your diagnosis not only ended up improving your own health, like you mentioned earlier, that it was in a way, an impetus, right, to, to improve your, your health, and you're much healthier for it now, but also how 
it really, in a very real way, um, improved the health of, of your of your dad. And, and not just my dad, it improved um, Lily's health as well. Um, she had terrible rashes that she suffered from for a long time, uh, and she had sinus problems, uh, and those things just went away. She had digestive problems, those things just went away. You know, I have friends that uh, ended up changing their lifestyle as well. Again, primarily diet, but then other things. Um, one of my best friends had really debilitating migraine headaches. Uh, to, we couldn't go to work for days on end and would have to be in a room, you know, a dark room because the headaches were so bad and you know, medication didn't work. And, and so he called me and said, hey, do you think this might work? And I said, let me do a little bit of research and see if there's something you can do for migraines. Turned out that it's kind of the same dietary pattern. Now he's doing that and he got rid of his migraines and all of the medication and everything else. You know, so that's one of the biggest things that I learned in this, in this journey is we don't often see what we can't see because we're in the system. We're in the way that we, that we, we think of certain things as normal. We think of, of pizza as a normal food mm -hmm, for human beings. Mm -hmm. And it is very far from that. If you start kind of deconstructing what a pizza is. Mm -hmm. you, you, you have all of these refined grains that get grounded up and then they pull, put a whole bunch of processed oils and refined sugars. And then you take all of these meats that have been processed and cured. And then you take the lactation product of a cow and you coagulate that and you put that on top of it. And then you put it in an oven and bake it you know, at really high temperatures so that you end up creating all of these, what I now know to be carcinogens, heterocyclic amines and, and advanced glycation end products and things like that that are created when you essentially burn these things. And then we consume that and, and we think this is food. And it's not, it's not food. Um, mm -hmm. It's something very different than, than, than food. And it, it has consequences for your, your health. And I think you can say that about a lot of different aspects of our life. We just, we think of certain things as just normal. We think of things like not getting enough sleep as normal because right. we have to get to work and we have to do what we need to do. And so if I get three hours of sleep for two weeks in a row, that's just the way it is. You know, we think of not exercising and not moving as normal, sitting at a desk all day as normal. And a lot of these things are not. Mm -hmm. So if you have to shift your perspective, that doesn't mean that you go and live in a cabin by yourself in the woods somewhere. You could do that, I guess. But if you want to you know, live in, in, in our modern world, you just have to shift your perspective. And then once you've shifted that perspective, shift your behavior to accommodate the modern world in a way that is healthier right. for you. So one point on that, first of all, I've never heard uh, the process of making a pizza described in the way that you just did. Uh, so thank you for that, Andres. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's true, right, at the end of the day. Um, and one thing that I wanted to ask you, I want to be respectful of your time, too. And I had one last question for you, um, you know, before we, we wrap up. Um, you know, if other attorneys, after listening to your story, are interested in, in making changes to their own lives, making changes potentially to their diet. Um, one of the things that I like to do with uh, my own coaching clients is, hey, uh, what do we need to do to set you up for success? Let's figure out what the obstacles are, right? 
So what would you say are, are like the three main obstacles that uh, folks may encounter in their journey to making these moves towards a healthier uh, lifestyle in terms of uh, their diet? The first thing I would say is uh, get a wife like mine <laughs> who is going to support you all the way through because otherwise it would be really, really difficult. Um, and I say that only half joking. Yeah, yeah. Um, support is really important. So I think one of the one of the first and maybe most difficult obstacles to overcome is the social pressure. Mm -hmm. um, particularly surrounding food. There's not that much social pressure anymore with respect to exercise. Everybody knows you've got to move. You have to get some exercise and everybody accepts that. Um, you know, everybody knows that you've got to manage stress and that that's important, whether that's through meditation or through going to therapy or, you know, some sort of other stress management techniques. You know, most people accept that, you know, in a professional setting. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, diet is not something that people really accept, at least not the information that, from my perspective, is the best obtainable version of the truth of what diet and, and health um, really are. Uh, and that's really hard because, you know, if you're an attorney, you're going to have clients that you're taking out to dinner and out to lunches and so forth. And you know, a lot of people are not going to understand this. Um, and it can be it can be a little bit daunting to buck the system and to buck everybody's expectations. Right. Uh, it's also difficult with family and friends. You know, your mom may have, you know, grandma's meatloaf recipe and you go over to mom's house for Thanksgiving and, you know, people may be offended that you don't want to have certain foods. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the social pressure is really, I think one of the, one of the most difficult obstacles. Um, I think the way to address that is just to, you know, do it respectfully and and not try to be too preachy about it. If you ultimately decide that this is the path that you're going to walk down, um, but kind of lead by example. You know, a, a lot of my friends and some of our family members have changed just because they see how much healthier. I look and how much healthier I feel and um, you know how much more active we can be. Um, Lily and I just last year went and climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa. Wow. We did it on, you know, just whole plant foods, you know, all the way up, all the way down. You know, that's all we ate before, during and, and after. So when people start seeing that, they start thinking, hmm, there may be something to this. Yeah, and then you kind of bring them along that way. So that's not, all, not only are they alive, but they climbed <laughs> one of the tallest mountains in the world on that diet. Mm, there's something there. <laughs> right. There's something to it. There's something to uh, it. There's something to it. So people start seeing that, and and you got to come from a place of of um, of joy and happiness too. You can't come yeah. from a mental place. Uh, you can't come from a place of, well, you just don't know, and I know, and that's how it is, because people don't react well to that, and it's not an effective way, and, and you know, it's, it's frankly, it's not a really fun way to live your life either. Yeah. So that's one obstacle. Um, yeah, another obstacle is that I, I found out the hard way, uh, and then I did some research on this that confirmed this, 
is a lot of the quote unquote foods that we eat are highly addictive. Mm. And, and you can get both behaviorally and maybe even potentially, you know, from a chemical standpoint, um, you can get addicted to these foods. Um, there, there's, a, there's a good book. That, I mean, I read so many, so I don't want to mention just one, but there, there was one book that was talking about the way that food is, is made um, and um, how the salt, the sugar, and, and fat content of the food makes a particular snack or whatever more or less appealing to people. You know, and so obviously the companies that are making these foods want to strike that balance so that you know, people will buy as much as possible. That's their right. job. It's not, right. I don't think they're doing anything evil. It's just, that's their purpose is to you know, make money for their shareholders. It's not personal, it's mm -hmm. just business. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and these substances can become you know, addictive. I think people can have food addictions. You know, some people may be more uh, prone to food addictions than others, just like some people are more prone to alcoholism than others. But I think it's, it's partly um, a, the addictive quality of some of these foods. Refined sugars, I think, are potentially highly addictive uh, in other foods as well. And then from a behavioral standpoint, they're addictive in the sense that this is just what we're used to doing all the time. And it's hard to break those habits. Um, you know, habits and, and addiction, what's the fine line between what's a habit, what's an addiction. Um, but habits can become, at least on a practical level, just as bad as addictions because habits are hard to break and bad habits are even harder to break. Right. So I think that's a second obstacle um, is just the the potential for, for food addiction. Um, and then I would say the third one is, um, or a third one, is support. You know, you really need to find a support system. It's really hard to do this on your own because of the first two obstacles. Right. Um, and if you don't find support, uh, it's, it's hard to do. That's why I said at the beginning, only half jokingly, that you've got to, get a wife like mine um, and a family like like mine who is willing to support us you know through all of this now they ended up reaping the benefits too so yeah. right you yeah. know that it ended up working out for everybody um, <clears throat> so you know I think those are three of the of the obstacles um, they're 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 to some extent related to each other the first one is definitely related to the last is you know, the societal pressure and the lack of support are very much related right. thinking about it now kind of logically after i've said it i'm not sure that they're really separate um but those are the things that i think you need to need to address another obstacle you know since i collapsed number three and number one now i only have two right mm -hmm. you know, okay. <laughs> one one obstacle that I, I think maybe i should have mentioned that as number one is the lack of any uh consistent and cohesive um message on this in the public sphere mm. the, the the message is just very confusing um, which you alluded to out. yes i alluded to that yeah. earlier earlier right? yeah, yeah one day you, you see this is great for you another day you see this is great for you you know and i i think that people just get confused and people don't have you know the time to really spend digging into this um i didn't have the time either i made the time to really dig into this and try to figure it out as best I could. 
by the way, everything I'm saying now is just my opinion and my experience. I'm not saying that I'm right. right. I'm saying this is what I found, you know, based on some what I, as careful a research as I can do and as objective a research as I can do. Um, that doesn't mean that somebody else can't do better research and more objective research. I'm sure many, many, many people could do that. This is just my opinion. And I'm not saying that, you know, certain foods are bad and certain foods are good because I don't think that that's necessarily a helpful paradigm either. I just think that there are certain foods that generally move you in a direction of a healthier lifestyle and others that may generally move you in a direction of a lifestyle they may not be as as healthy as as another one and it's not a hundred percent one way or a hundred percent the other way we chose to do a hundred percent you know whole food plant-based diet you know for many reasons that we don't have time to talk about today right. but it doesn't have to be a hundred percent that way you know start with trying to not eat as much processed stuff which mm-hmm. is really one of the main problems that we we have is there's so much processed food in our food supply in part because it's really convenient. You know, yeah. it's called fast food for a reason. Yep. Um, people want it fast. They, they, they need to go out and get their sandwich and get back to their desk. And, and that's part of what we were talking about earlier, stepping back and saying, you know, that's not normal. And how can, I, how can I make it a little bit healthier? Well, maybe you still have to eat at your desk but you can think about it and plan ahead a little bit so that you don't end up being caught up in having to have the fast food um, because you don't have a choice. Otherwise you don't eat lunch. So you have to plan ahead a little bit. So anyway, that's, that, that I would say is the third mm-hmm. obstacle. It's the, the amount of misinformation out there. What do you do about that? Frankly, the only thing I can tell you is um, I, I don't want to give recommendations on, on, what I did because that just worked for me. You know, what I would say is you gotta, gotta do your own research and, and figure out whether what I'm saying makes sense to you. Um, And I think if you do the research, you'll find that it does Mm -hmm. Um, because I, I, I can't imagine that it was a coincidence that we as a family, me and my family, came to these conclusions based on reading books and studies and going to conferences and so forth. And then we applied that to our lives and then we had the results that we had. Yeah. Right. That, that there's gotta be a correlation there. And the more and more I learn, the more and more convinced I am that, that I think this is probably the best obtainable version of the, of the truth. And, you know, we're still finding things out, you know, I keep yeah. up with, with the, newest studies and all of that to just to know because there are certain things that we find out that we don't know yet um and that's that i think is it's kind of the umbrella of everything that we've talked about so that we don't bore your listeners anymore with my monologues here (laughs) no not at all is the this idea that somehow we know everything Mm. and by we i mean the experts in our society that doesn't mean that doctors are not critically important. Of course they are. You know, and in fact, the people that led us down this path are pretty much all of them, except for a couple of PhDs that were just doing the, the hardcore research, medical doctors, you know, trained medical doctors, um, that are conventional Western medical doctors. 
So doctors and, and, and Western medicine is miraculous in many ways, but it doesn't have all of the answers. Mm-hmm. And we kind of export our, our health and our well-being um, to different aspects of our society without kind of stepping back and thinking, is this, is this the right way to go? And I think that's partly because human beings are, um, frankly, a little bit arrogant. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think that we have figured out so many things, and we have. You know, we, we know a lot more about the universe and our world than... Uh, we did 100 years ago, certainly, and 200 years ago, for sure, and so forth. Um, but we don't know everything. And the yeah. human body and the human mind are incredibly complex. So I remember once, this was a long time ago, looking at all the pills that my dad used to take. And he had them in these boxes with Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to make sure that he took them at the right time and all that. And there were all kinds of colors. They were pink and yellow and purple and white and And I remember thinking to myself, this was before I did any research, before the cancer diagnosis, before anything that we've been talking about. I thought, that is, every single one of those pills has a lot of chemicals in it. And then you multiply that by all of the other chemicals in the other pills. You're literally talking about thousands upon thousands of chemicals. And there is no human being on this planet that can tell me what all of those chemicals are doing with the trillions of chemical reactions going on in my dad's body. That is possible. It's just not possible. Again, that doesn't mean that medication is not really helpful in certain instances and and life-giving in other instances. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that sometimes we just kind of take things for granted we take for granted that a pizza is a normal food we take for granted that heart disease is irreversible we take for granted that we just have to work 20 hours a day because otherwise we won't get ahead we take a lot of things for for granted and we don't really look beyond what it is that we're doing all of these things for you know yeah. do we do we do we want to live life this way or do we want to live it in a, in a different way that may be healthier, not just for you, but also healthier for the people around you and for you know everyone on the planet and maybe even the planet itself. So you yeah. then start having different perspectives about the way you move through this world and the way you interact with other people. And that helps you internally. And then that helps others interact with you, which helps them. And then it becomes you know, a, a positive cycle as opposed to a negative one. I think just to summarize that last point that you made, and it's, it kind of brings me back to some of the questions that I asked myself in terms of uh, my own just well-being, but really asking yourself the why of your actions, one, and then also asking yourself, how do you want to exist, right? I think those are two, they get into a little bit of a philosophical arena, but, you know, um, I think, I think uh, they're important questions that we don't ask enough of ourselves. Uh, but Andres, I want to really thank you for your time. I, I really, really appreciate all the insight, all your information. You've, we basically crunched down years of uh, your journey and uh, your intense research on, on the subject area uh, into about an hour or so. I really, again, appreciate it. And um, I hope that folks listening in will benefit from the information and will take what they need to 
you know, so that they can make whatever uh, changes or not in their life. It's, you know, it's your journey. And, uh, but at least we're bringing in perspectives here on Attorney Heart that will uh, cause you to think and ask some questions that maybe you haven't asked before. So Andres, I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me um, again, and, and hopefully we didn't bore your listeners to death with this long conversation <laughs> and my um, my my uh, long monologues. Not at all on this. I, I I found them very helpful, and I know that our listeners are going to find them helpful too. So, uh, again, everyone, thank you for listening in. Uh, I look forward to catching you at the next episode. We really hope you enjoyed this one, and uh, we'll catch you at the next one. Again, thanks, Andres. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hey everyone, before you go, I wanted to personally invite you to the I Matter Now 2018 conference. It's coming up August 18, 2018. It's gonna be on a Saturday. It's one day of just awesome speakers related to everything from your health. How can you improve your health? We're gonna have awesome doctors, uh, naturopathic doctors who focus on making sure that holistically you are well and that you are fostering wellness in your life. Uh, they're going to bring some really great strategies and tips for you to consider. Um, we're going to have entrepreneurs who have built their wealth in real estate so that if you have, you know, certain money set aside and you're trying to figure out how do I grow this? How do I make it, you know, uh, how, do, how do I make it uh, more, right? Um, you can definitely figure out different ways to do that. And we're going to have also uh, attorneys who are going to talk about productivity and making sure that you are taking care of yourself throughout the day and how that directly impacts your ability to be productive throughout the day and also how you can potentially build your legacy and um, our speakers are just going to be really really great and i hope that you make time on saturday august 18 to join us in san francisco at the hyatt regency and i look forward to meeting up with you then Thank you again for listening in to Attorney Heart. And I, again, if you have any questions about the conference or to register, just go to uh, imatternowconference.eventbrite.com. Again, imatternowconference.eventbrite.com. Imatternow is I-M-A-T-E-R-N-O-W, conference.eventbrite.com. All right, thank you so much. Catch you at the next one. Bye. Hi everyone, Fernando here again to thank you for listening in to another Attorney Heart episode. If you like this episode, please make sure to give it a thumbs up. And if it can benefit anyone that you know, please share it. Attorney Heart is brought to you by iMatterNow. I-M-A-T-E-R-N-O-W. Please make sure to check our website at iMatterNow.com. Again, I-M-A-T-E-R-N-O-W.com. And join iMatterNow's Facebook page. Follow us for future events and additional resources. Every day presents an opportunity to engage in self-care. And remember that it is not selfish to take care of your well-being. It is necessary. So take care and connect with you on the next Attorney Heart episode.